0: To another episode of the third person podcast. My name is Chris Millhouse, and joined as always with my co-host, Mr. Daryl Hammond. How are you, Daryl? What's up, dude? We got a uh, we got a doozy of a podcast for everybody today, as the kids say. Uh, really great one. Uh, something a little bit different out of the box. Um, and also, if we have some new listeners today, uh, we are normally a comedy podcast. Obviously, Daryl's a longtime SNL cast member. I am a stand-up comedian, for fifteen years. Been on some other stuff, but. Uh, well, we normally do a kind of a comedy podcast, um, and uh, we are still we still have some bright moments in this one. But uh, we did, you know, when we have a politician on, we decided to ask uh, some serious questions because our guest today is Mr. Andrew Yang, who was a former uh, presidential candidate and now current mayoral candidate for the city of New York. So, mm-hmm. you know, we thought to uh, we thought to not only think out of the box as far as having him on as a guest, but um, to ask him some real questions. Daryl and I are both New Yorkers. We really wanted to know some of the answers to things that are, you know, legitimately important to New Yorkers.
1: Yeah. And I've been looking at, um, you know, a lot of video of him, been reading about him and, um, I can see why Chappelle likes him, dude. He's a very serious guy and really bright, you know? Oh yeah. He's, he's definitely very smart. And, uh, And, and when you talk to him, um, you get the sense of the force of, of a very strong personality. Um, it's hard to show that sort of thing in the presidential spotlight. Sometimes it doesn't. It's not easy for everyone, but he's a serious dude and real smart.
0: Yeah, he's gonna. You know, I'll, I'll give you my my impression of of Andrew. Andrew, I I found very likable. I found that he is a very optimistic dude. I think that he is a guy that genuinely cares. And genuinely wants to make a difference to change, you know, not necessarily just, you know, as a presidential candidate, but out of the city of New York. He sees problems. And I think that uh, I think he's got a good head on his shoulders to be that guy to maybe change some things around New York. And whether he wins or loses, I think that he should still I think he will still be involved somehow with the city, if not with, you know, the the united states government because i think he's got some great ideas and i think he's you know he's a bright dude
1: you ever listen to him talk um he is thoughtful and and knows so i mean knows so much stuff (laughs) dude he does um and he's likable He's very likable. He's a guy,
0: I think that, I think you and I liked him, at least, I mean, we both liked the interview. I mean, he was, he was a great interview. He's a great guest on our podcast here. But um, one of the things that we set out to do, because politicians seem to be these polarizing figures so much, it's hard to really see who this person is and to get a good insight into their true, you know, personality. And, and I think we did that. I think we, you know, for lack of a better term, humanized a politician on our podcast. And not that he hasn't been humanized on any other interviews or not, but uh, sometimes like CNN and and places like that tend to just ask hard-hitting questions without asking, you know, who is Andrew Yang? Like, you know, why did Andrew Yang get into politics? And it gives us a good insight into him. And, uh, you know, I thought, I found him, I found him charming. I thought I found him, uh, you know, just a really, it was really cool to get to know him and to get to see who he is. And he's got a great sense of humor. It's no wonder that Chappelle and yeah. comics definitely back this guy, you know, Chappelle, Chris rock, you know, but a lot of, a lot of big name com- comedians are, are behind this dude.
1: Yeah. Chappelle and Chris rock are brilliant guys. I mean, real smart guys. And it's not just that they're funny as hell. They're smart guys. Never have a conversation with them. And they picked this guy. And, uh, Really makes you want to take a look at him, and when you take a look at him, he looks real good.
0: He does, and uh, real quick, I doubt Chappelle's ever listening. But if anybody who knows Chappelle is listening, um, you know, to give us give him our best because he did come down with COVID nineteen recently. Uh, mm. Down, Dave Chappelle.
1: Oh God, I'm so sorry.
0: Yeah, I guess he's asymptomatic, so I think it's okay. I mean, that's what I read. So. Um, I guess he tested does. positive down in Austin, but uh quick and speedy recovery. Hope he's going to be okay. We both, you and I both love Dave and uh, been fortunate. Yeah, for He's
1: him. a monster talent and a genuinely decent human.
0: Oh, he's a great guy. He's a guy that's, he kept, every time I ran into him, he goes, I know who you are. He goes, but I'm bad with your name. And I said, that's fine. Just yeah. having Dave Chappelle say, I remember who you are. And then he quoted specifically, he's like, Oh, we did this show together and this show together I was like, how do you remember that? Like he was just a a sweetheart of a guy and uh you know, it, it obviously tremendous talent. But uh get well soon, Dave, so you can get on the road with Mr. Andrew Yang and help him uh help him secure that New York City mayoral uh candidacy here but um but yeah we've got a really great episode and uh as a reminder or uh, if anybody new is listening um please add us on social media make sure you, you give us uh, the old ad we do update stuff on social media quite often uh i am at chris millhouse daryl is at daryl c hammond on both twitter and instagram for both of us and uh make sure you hit subscribe and download share this podcast with your friends and if you like it which i hope you do Give us five stars. That would be great. Uh, I think on our next uh, podcast, Daryl, I think we should read some of the comments back. People have been leaving some really great comments and some of them are funny. So I I feel like we should read them back and and just show some love to the people who have shown us love, uh, you know, since we started the podcast.
1: Yeah, you know, I've never read any of them and I hope we're doing good out there. I'd like to hear that kind of stuff. Absolutely.
0: And people, like I said, you know, if you follow us on social media, we get a lot of nice messages on social media. At least I'm getting a bunch about people uh, loving the podcast. And, uh, you know, we're this is a fairly new podcast. We uh we're, we're almost at uh, episode 20 coming up. So, you know, we're uh, we're still building this and we hope that you'll share it with your friends and help us build it, too. But in the meantime, we have a really great interview here. Like I said, normally we're more of a comedy podcast, talk about SNL jokes, stand up, you know, acting, all that stuff. And we talk about it a little bit in this. Uh, We have a little bit of fun with Andrew uh, in the beginning. And at the end, we have a lot of fun there, too. But we do get some serious questions in there, too. So if any New Yorkers are listening, hopefully you find this informative. Hopefully you go out and vote and, uh, you know, take this into some consideration when you vote. And uh, make sure, also give some love to Andrew Yang, at Andrew Yang on social media and uh, yanggang.com. I believe it was his uh, website. So here you go. Here's our podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Andrew Yang. Andrew, thank you so much for being on the third person podcast
2: today. How are you, Andrew? I'm doing great, and I am literally the third person in this podcast. You so are I guess the third. That's person. the norm, though. I, I, I sense that uh, the two of you are um, uh, constants, and then you bring in someone like me
0: yeah and obviously you know my co-host, Mr. Daryl Hammond, a Saturday Night Live Legend. Uh, and then for me, I know we've never met, and you probably don't know me, but I'm a stand-up comic uh, 15 years. I've been in the circuit for a long time. Uh, and uh, you know, that's one of the things I kind of want to talk to you about to start is that uh, you've got some pretty strong stand-up comedy connections there. You've got some big
2: names in your uh, in your corner, Mr. Andrew Yang. Well, thanks for saying so, Chris. You look too young to have been doing this for <laughs> 15 years. I'll take it. Also, you don't have that jaded quality that many of my, <laughs> my friends in comedy have. Oh, I,
0: I, I do. Trust me. That's just one of those things that, uh, you know, It's we don't know each other that much.
2: <laughs> no, it, it's interesting you say so, though, Chris, because I, I um, am fortunate enough to have a number of friends in comedy um, and... Occasionally, someone asks me why I think that is. And, uh, you know, I identified a couple things. But I think the main thing is that comedians are truth seekers and truth tellers uh, in a time when that stuff seems like it's in short supply. (laughs) So I think that's that's number one. Um, Number two might be that I don't take myself that seriously. Uh, And number three was probably that I thought that Uh, Shane Gillis should not have been fired um, when he made some um, uh, offensive jokes or comments about me, actually, individually. um, And I said as much. And, uh, like, I heard from a number of comics saying, you know, thank you for sticking up for Shane. Well, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that you were uh, one of the people that stuck up for him. Um, I mean, it was pretty...
0: Jarring when he got hired and then all of a sudden, you know, those comments came out from his podcast. So, I mean, that's that's um, that's big of you to, you know, basically come to his defense.
2: Yeah, I I figured I was one of the people that it was individually um, like remarked upon or offended. Um, And so I thought, well, I I suppose I should say something, because if I don't think that someone should lose their job uh, or livelihood over this, then. Um, and I was the person who, who was directly named. Uh, it, it was unfortunate, um, but it didn't surprise me. Unfortunately, at the time, because I thought to myself, a lot of companies when they're in that situation, um, they don't have a huge investment in you at that point. It's not like Shane was the big money maker; like he hadn't even, you know, done a day of work. I think so. I, I kind of figured that it would go the way it did, but it, it did uh, disappoint me still. Well, I
0: mean, that's, uh, that's interesting to hear. I mean, um, I know, have you, um, I'm sure you've watched Saturday Night Live since. Um, what do you think of uh, of Bowen Yang's impression of you?
2: Uh, you know, I'm friendly with Bowen. I actually saw him um, a number of weeks ago. Uh, I think that Bowen did a great job, and I was just thrilled that I was being featured or included at all, honestly, uh, Chris, <laughs> Yeah, because, it's pretty cool. You, you know, you show up and you're like, are they going to have a me? And then uh they did have a mean it was played by Bowen. Um and I think Bowen had fun with it and got uh more comfortable with it as time went on. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean um I I think it's considered a big honor
0: no matter what. Like if you if you make it to SNL and you get spoofed like it's always it's always a fun
2: thing. I mean they do it It for, means you made it. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Like if if there's if if they're willing to poke fun at you then uh, you made it.
0: Yeah. Now, how did you um, how did you become friends with people like Dave Chappelle? Like, how did how did that whole he's been one of your biggest supporters. I mean, he he comes out and he you know he pushes for you. Like, how did that whole relationship come about?
2: Dave read my book, The War on Normal People. Uh, he lives in Ohio, so he actually had direct experience with some of the things I wrote about in the book. Um, and then he, he it's actually his wife reached out to my team and um said hey like dave wants to get together when you're in the same place so we were in the same city and it was los angeles while i was running for president he was out there on some business trip and then so we got together and um spent about an hour together uh great guy you know like i had a phenomenal conversation and i will confess i thought well like that that was great like i hope that uh you know like dave ends up Um, being supportive in some way, but I didn't have, like, my hopes that high because, you know, when you're running for president, you meet with different people all the time. um, And it's seldom the case that they roll their sleeves up and say, you know what, I'm going to have shows for you in Iowa and South Carolina to raise money for you. I will bring... um, energy and visibility and my friends but that was dave for you like after we got together in california dave was like i want to help and i was like fantastic and then he really did just step up in like an enormous way so that says a lot about him as a person i think that's one reason why he's so admired uh and beloved that he's like a real uh stand-up guy i mean that's sort of a you know it's it's funny like haha stand-up guy but like (laughs) like he's a real (laughs) Like high character guy, where if he says he's going to help you, then he really follows through. Um, and then a number of other folks took uh, his lead, and so and I ended up making more friends with more uh, people in comedy when I went out to Camp Chappelle in Yellow Spring, Ohio, and um, you know celebrated his birthday out there.
0: Yeah, how was that experience? I heard that's a lot of fun, and wasn't able to get invited to it but (laughs) it's uh it's also uh it's you know it's all over the internet people always post pictures and stuff and how much it just looks like a great
2: time it was phenomenal yeah it was like an oasis because you got tested on the way in and so then everyone felt like you were pretty safe um it felt like a camp i mean there were actually camp Chappelle t-shirts uh it felt like a family reunion there were a lot of people that had these like long-standing Years long connections, um, there were some incredible performers there, and it wasn't just comedians. Uh, he also had spoken word poets and rappers. The whole thing was phenomenal. It was awesome. magical really there, there's no other way to put it, and people are going to get a sense of it over time because I think that he had some folks recording uh, elements of yeah uh, the I shows. So too yeah and,
0: and,
2: and so I think when people see it they 're going to have their minds blown. And being a part of it was an awesome experience and privilege. Uh, Yeah, like, it it was wonderful.
0: That's awesome. Daryl, I've been dominating the questions. You want to jump in and (laughs) ask Andrew something?
1: I was wondering if politics was your first choice for a career. Like, I had wanted to be a baseball player more than a performer. That didn't work out. Was there another thing that you were interested in before you became Andrew Yang, public figure? Oh, gosh,
2: Daryl. I was like this nerdy little Asian kid in upstate New York. So no one thought I'd ever run for office. I certainly didn't think I'd run for office. And my parents were immigrants, so they weren't like, you're going to you know, be president or mayor someday. There's like nothing like that um, in the cards. I was just a bookish kid. I played Dungeons and & Dragons and read comic books and was uh, a geek. I, did, I was a Mets fan, so there was that um, during like the 80s. Uh, Dwight Gooden, Keith Hernandez, Daryl Strawberry, Mets, uh, <laughs> Gary. Oh yeah, yeah legends, legends,
1: man. Absolutely. Yeah, do you remember what age you were when your brain sort of said, "I think, I think I'd like to hold the highest office in the land"? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that did not happen until Donald Trump won. Darryl, like, so, so Trump wins in 2016, and I'm just like, "What the fuck just happened?" Like, <laughs> Trump won. Like, I was in the camp where I, like I figured Hillary was going to win. Uh, And then I thought, well, this country is not doing well if Trump won. Uh, And so I started and I'd spent the previous five years um, working in uh, Michigan, Ohio, Alabama, Louisiana. And so I'd like seen a lot of those environments. And then Trump wins. And I'm like, whoa, like, this is getting really nasty really quickly. Um, So I wrote a book about Uh, How we're automating away millions of manufacturing jobs that happen to be in a lot of the swing states, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, and that we're going to do the same thing to retail and call centers and truck driving and uh, on and on through the economy. And so then I said, well, the only way I can actually energize uh, people around a solution, universal basic income, which you probably have seen me talk about, uh, was to run for president. So there was never really a point, Daryl, where I said, like, I want to be president. Um, uh, even now, like, I'm running for mayor of New York City, and it's not like I woke up and was like, I want to be mayor. I mean, like, like I'm driven by impact. Um, right now, New York City's in crisis. Uh, we are down 700,000 jobs, uh, 60 million tourists. Subway traffic's down two-thirds. Uh, Midtown Manhattan is... Seventy-five to eighty percent unoccupied. I mean, it's some really dark, bleak shit. Uh, and that,
1: and so, can we can we just backtrack? Midtown Manhattan, seventy to eighty percent vacant.
2: Yeah, the the commercial real estate buildings, like the big fancy office buildings in Midtown Manhattan, there was an article, uh, it was maybe a month or two ago, that said they were eighty-two percent unoccupied in Bloomberg, uh, and so I saw that and was like, well, that's really fucking high. you <laughs> We're like, I mean, you could reverse that and say they're 18% occupied. Um, so, so there are massive, massive problems in New York City right now. Uh, and I think I can help. So it's the same thing that drove me to run for president. It wasn't like a desire to be president. Um, it was a desire to help accelerate the solutions, um, primarily universal basic income. For New York City, I think I can accelerate our recovery from COVID. Uh, I think I can um, uh, speed us up. Uh, And if you think you can do that, then you should try to do that. Uh, So, you know, so I'm I'm back. Yeah. New York. Yeah. But, but but it, but it's, but it has never been in my mind that I like want to be a certain thing. Um, You know, I I just want to try and help people. How do you think you could speed it up? The recovery. Right now, the thing that I'm stressed out about is trying to figure out what our recovery looks like. Uh, So, there are all these horrifying numbers and I could go on uh, for, you know, for a while about other numbers, or like over 10,000 small businesses closed. I mean, that's brutal. I mean, each of those small businesses is um, a family's dream and uh, maybe like a dozen or more livelihoods. Um, So the vaccine is the key ingredient to our comeback. Um, The question is at what point do vaccinations reach a level where those office buildings fill back up or people go to the restaurant or bar club or, people come into the city just for a fun Thursday night or go to a Broadway show. Uh, and the answer in my mind is not quickly enough. Like I, I think if you get vaccines up to 30, 40, 50%, still people would, um, feel uneasy to come in and get together because they'd look around and say, well, half of these people are not vaccinated. And like, I'm vaccinated. Do I still wear a mask? I don't know. So one way I think we can speed up is by having a vaccination passport on our phones that we just show the venue on the way in saying like, I was, I was vaccinated. And then as long as you know, everyone in that venue is vaccinated, then you can take your mask off and literally breathe easy uh, because it's just like a a venue full of vaccinated people um, or an office full of vaccinated people. And that's the kind of thing that you need to have in place. If New York city is going to come back from COVID more quickly, where if we can become a place where folks actually can congregate safely and intelligently, uh, then we can bring folks back. Whereas if we don't lead in that way, then people will probably um, wait and see. But like, as the the time passes, things are getting worse, not better for a lot of business owners.
0: Yeah. I mean, these are, these are really great points. And um, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but Daryl and I are both New Yorkers. So we both have a lot of concerns about our city and let's face it, man, like Bill de Blasio has done a shit job. At least my opinion I don't know. I can't speak for anybody else, but I, I think that the bar is set so low that, uh, it, you know, a, a new mayor candidate, whoever takes over is going to not have an easy job, but uh, should be. we should be better off in our city with whoever takes over, whether it's you or one of the other people that are um, qualified to run for office. Um, basically, uh, to quote a joke uh, from my friend Charles McBee is that, you know, um during this pandemic we 've seen a struggle for leadership between Cuomo and de blasio, and basically, De Blasio is like our dad, and Cuomo's like our stepdad. Cuomo's coming in doing all the work at no real you know credit for it where De Blasio is like our real dad going oh yeah you're still around. I forgot about you so like how do you plan on how do you plan on turning the city around and just and and working with Cuomo to just make things, uh, you know, to get it back, get it back to normal. Besides the few things that you've said already, like there's a lot of problems. I mean, you're in for an uphill battle.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a really long road back. And the city and state need to be working together at a higher level. Uh, I, I think um, Governor Cuomo will find a partner in me. Um, we, He's 100 percent right. We need to go to the feds and say, look, uh, you know, New York has been paying 25 billion dollars more uh, to the federal government that it's been receiving for years and it's payback time, you know, like, uh, and there is no national recovery without a New York city recovery um, or a New York state recovery. Uh, and so I'll help governor Cuomo make that case. Cause he's right. Um, we need to get on the same page about vaccine distribution and uh, hopefully a way of communicating quickly that people have been vaccinated so they can get together and we can start reopening things. Um, my goal is to have a really Uh, cooperative and collegial relationship with Governor Cuomo, because our interests are completely aligned. I mean, if you look at New York City as a proportion of New York State's uh, economy, it's really significant. So, you know, we we ought to be on the same page. Um, I I will say that New York City needs to control the elements of its own destiny. And one of those things should be uh, subways and buses and transit system. Like, it's very, very hard to um, make some of the changes you need if you don't actually have control over some of these uh, infrastructure
1: elements or institutions. A lot of people in the Upper West Side were kind of s- surprised when de Blasio filled a hotel at 76th Street with homeless people. And if the legends are correct, some of them were um, sexual criminals on, right on the middle of the Upper West Side come um,
2: Is that where you are Dale by chance or where are you guys located physically Yeah I'm, I'm Upper West He's in LA right now but I'm, I'm
0: currently in LA but I normally I, My apartment's in Brooklyn and Greenpoint I
2: hear things are tough in LA right now
0: They are it's, uh, The numbers are out of control It's basically like everybody's open mouth kissing everyone hello I mean I don't know how these numbers keep spiking But they're I mean, One in four people that test Test positive now That's what oh. the numbers are here which is insane. So they're hoping that now that the holidays are over, the numbers are going to come down. I mean, that's nationwide, not just here. Maybe people are traveling less and staying in and whatever. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, Daryl has a good question. I mean, the, the homeless problem is a big problem in New York City. And de Blasio put people in the hotels right in the middle of Upper West Side, which freaked out a lot of the residents up there. Um, how, what would you have done differently from de Blasio or how do you plan on fixing our homeless problem in New York that's needs desperately fixing?
2: We've had a massive shortage of affordable housing in New York city for a long time. And one of the only opportunities that arises with this pandemic is trying to repurpose some of the, um, properties we have. And uh, I heard just the other day that there was a significant hotel owner who just turned in the keys to the hotel, to the lender and said like, we're out. Uh, you know, because they just aren't making any money. I mean, you can imagine if you're down um, over 90% of your tourists, like the hotel, they're not exactly thriving. Um, and so we should be looking at helping some of these hotel operators um, turn in the keys to the city and then turn those structures into affordable housing and supportive housing. Uh, you know, like an empty hotel does not do anyone any good. Um, so that's an opportunity. I actually do think, and it's going to be hard news for some people, um, I think some of these commercial office buildings are also going to need to be converted um, because I, I do not think that commercial real estate is going to bounce back to the utilization rate that it was. I think a lot of these corporations. Converted in, may I ask, converted into what? Uh, converted eventually into uh, affordable housing. Um, and I've been in some of these buildings that have converted from office to residential um, they are a little bit funky, you know. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like you're like, oh, like that layout might not have made perfect sense, um, but it it is possible. It can be done. Um, the commercial real estate of New York City is just going to be depressed for a while because a lot of these organizations are not going to have the same physical footprint that they did before. Um, you know, they're going to, some of them have relocated significant proportions of their operations to Nashville or Florida and other places. Um, uh, and uh, some of them are going to adopt more flexible office conditions where people are going to come in uh, three days a week and then work from home the other two. So like, like it's highly unlikely in my mind that commercial real estate usage is going to return to pre-pandemic levels over the next number of uh, handful of years, really. Um, and, and so if you're in that situation, the problem right now is that it, it's very difficult for us to make any of these adjustments, because if you are like a you know, an owner, you're just like sitting and waiting and hoping that things do bounce back. Um, so the question is, like, when do we start making these adjustments? And I think the city can actually help uh, a lot of these adjustments happen more quickly, because if the city goes to a hotel owner and is like, hey, guess what? Like, we'll take it off your hands. Like a lot of these hotel owners have a lot of debt. And so, you know, they're, they're trying to figure a way out. And so if the city takes it on and says, look, now uh, we'll do it, and then we'll have, like, the debt holder take a haircut, and now we own this um, this hotel, and then we can turn that into, you know, supportive housing and affordable housing. Like, that's the direction we need to be going.
1: That's really <laughs> smart stuff. It is. I mean, I,
0: I, hope that it, I hope it's realistic. I hope that we really could take over, you know, um, some of these commercial real estate buildings because if they're not being used, and, you know, we're not getting that type of um, business to come back to New York. We need to be using it for good. We need to be turning around the city and helping as much as um, you know, to, to, be,
2: to be clear, the hotels are the lower hanging fruit. The commercial real estate is like a little bit further out because those yeah. conversions are not as easy. The hotels are easier. Um, but I, I do think at some point some of the commercial, uh, re, like real estate is going to have to like, take a hard look at itself.
0: And if you're you're elected mayor, like, what would you do to ensure that tens of thousands in New York are struggling with substance abuse and mental illness, receive appropriate and timely treatment? That's an important thing. And this is also what's causing part of our homeless problem as well.
2: Uh, This is core to me. Um, The city had a massive uh, mental health program that had great intentions. Uh, Most people agree that it didn't quite have the results that you'd want. Um, I'm a very data-driven guy, and so if there's a program that helps people combat substance abuse, uh, I'm for it, including partial decriminalization of some of these substances. Um, uh, we need to get people treatment uh, and not have them fear that you know they're going to have their lives ruined or get thrown in jail if they're combating um, these issues. So uh, it, it's trying to augment the programs that are actually showing results right now. I mean, th- this is a space where... Um, where money can help, um, but it needs to be directed in the right ways. Uh, you know, like it, it's easy to spend money in this space and not actually help solve the problem. Uh, but I'm very, very intent on it. Um, my brother actually is a psychology professor. Um, so I take mental health particularly, um, seriously and personally. Uh, and I, I think there are ways we can help, um, equip people with the skills to become, um, resilient really. And it's such a tough time. I know Daryl, you have some personal experience with some of this. Um, I mean, in my mind, we all do, frankly. I mean, like, uh, like the, I, I can't think of most anyone who doesn't have some. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like, like some struggle uh, and some need for, uh, especially during the pandemic thing? right now, especially. Yeah, especially during a pan- pandemic, yeah. no one's feeling good.
1: Yeah. I feel like I'm alive because of uh, I had a couple of bucks and I could pay for the best doctors and also I had great health insurance. I mean, I don't know how you make mental health care affordable. Um, the people that are in the street, in my opinion, are trauma patients. It's a tall, tall order to corral them all. You know, I have friends who are social workers just to corral them all and improve them, make them better. I mean, that's, that costs money and it takes time. As you're saying, you know, you're talking about the the long haul, right? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is just get them into
2: more supportive situations uh, where you can even start to begin that process. And the tough thing is a lot of folks who are on the streets don't want to come with you, you know, like they don't want to go to a shelter. Um, so, uh, so it, it's really, really difficult. Um, but the crisis is getting worse, not better. Uh, and it's one reason why, my administration is already committing hundreds of millions of dollars to try and combat extreme poverty, um, because to me it's very, very expensive when someone hits our streets—like really expensive. Um, and so, if you can keep people off of the streets, it actually will save you money. How's that expensive? Well, so you mean you—you you called out what happened with the uh, Lucerne, but um, the city sometimes is spending tens of thousands of dollars a year on. Um, housing for folks who are on, on the streets, if they do put them into hotel rooms and other things, uh, you know, I think the the rate there was something like $200 a night, which if you do the math is 50,000 a year um, more even. Wow. So um, I guess it'd be 70. So, uh, so, so there are things like that that are happening in New York city where we're spending tens of thousands of dollars on someone after they, they become homeless.
0: Now, this coming back to um, I've heard you talk about uh, in other interviews about your universal basic health or universal basic income. Um, So you you mentioned I've I've heard this before uh, for maybe our listeners who don't know. You were talking about uh, helping with universal universal basic income specifically for New York City. Do you think that that could help combat homelessness with that type of, uh, you know, issues with those type of issues?
2: Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that's one of the goals, uh, where if you put money into someone's hands, who's right at the edge, like it might keep them in their apartment, you know, it might keep them off the streets. Uh, and that would save us money because when, when they're on the streets, they can become very, very costly in multiple ways. I mean, you know, the human ways too, is a, in addition to the, um, uh, use of resources. It's like, did you just say 70
1: grand per person? Uh, well that, that's what it'd be if you were spending 100%. a night, they're there for a year. That's, 70, seventy grand and that's one yeah. person okay. yeah
2: yeah. Uh, yeah so that that has happened in New York City, um, and so you know we have to try to spend the money um, more intelligently than that, and earlier in the process, like uh, you know again, try and keep them off the streets, so that is the the goal, Chris, of the basic income um, that we 're putting in place in New York City is to try and uh, help people but also save us money. Um, and is the right thing to do. Uh, you know, like we can alleviate extreme poverty in New York City, and I'm confident we'll get a lot of that value back.
0: Okay. I mean, um, I also have a, I wanted to ask a question for uh, our producer, our sound producer, Jim. He works full-time as a teacher and, and does this part-time with us. Um, for, as for him, with his, his main concerns with teaching is, what measures do you have planned to help Underserved communities, underserved communities, uh, with tools necessary to to do remote learning, and also, you know, it's so bad.
2: I'm sorry, I'm sorry for your friend, Um, for Jim. Yeah, yeah, no. So Jim, like, so 29% of New York uh, residents don't have high speed internet in their home. Uh, So can you imagine trying to have your kid learn in that context? And of course, that 29% is disproportionately um, communities of color in the Bronx and other parts of the city. So when Jim is talking about those communities. He's right. I mean, a lot of these kids are not in a position to learn. Um, And and even if you do have online school all day, studies show that you're learning 30 to 70% less than if you were in person. So we should not have any illusions. Online school stinks relative to in-person instruction. Um, Worse than online school is no school. So you have to try to get some of those 29% high-speed internet, uh, right now, happily, 99% of New York city has the infrastructure so that they could have high speed internet. It's just that the providers figured out they couldn't make any money off of these 29%. So they didn't bother trying to sell it to them or connect their homes or apartments or buildings in some cases, but the, but the pipes there, like the wires are there. Um, and but so how do we uh, change that? How do we get them the, This internet that's important. Yeah. So, um, so, I, my, I've committed hundred million dollars to help subsidize, um, high speed internet for folks who want it um, in these buildings and homes. Uh, and then you go to the providers and say, look, you're making hundreds of millions of dollars a year off of the franchise here in New York city. You already have the pipe laid. We want you to connect these low income households and you can charge them a bit and we will subsidize it a bit, but you're essentially going to break even on this thing. It's going to be pretty, you know, it's going to be a lot cheaper than like the, the stuff you're, you're doing now um and lean on them and have it so that we also have some low cost providers who just want to do business um and uh connect more of these households. Now realistically not all of the 29% um, are going to get it or even want it in some cases because some proportion of the 29% have internet on their phone and they think that's enough. You know what I mean? Like it's probably not good for their uh kids um learning. Like you your kids are probably not gonna learn on your phone. Um, but like there are some of these households that you know, like even if we get it down to a point where it 's pretty affordable for just about every household let 's call it um, let 's call it twenty five bucks a month, and the city 's covering half of it, so it might be like twelve dollars a month or something like that. Um, there are still some households that would not be into it um, but we have to get these companies to the table and say, look again you 're making a fortune off of new york city like help us connect these people um and, and it's not even gonna hurt you it's gonna be like good you already have the pipe laid you're not gonna lose money on this like we're gonna put some resources to work uh yeah. let's go maybe some um, sort of like
0: tax credit or something for them could help entice them
2: you know sure i mean i know they're financial operators i understand um mm-hmm. but we, we can make this happen in a way that does not um, bust up their balance sheet
0: yeah and uh speaking of, of education one of the biggest things that uh, we've seen one of the biggest, um, I guess, uh, problems that we see, especially between Cuomo and, and de Blasio, is the, uh, the I want to know what's what's your infre- infection rate threshold for school closures? Because it seems to be a lot of back and forth where, you know, schools are open and schools are closed. And, you know, the, this this pandemic is running wild and it's
2: it's affecting obviously kids and teachers as, as well. Yeah, as a parent, it's been frustrating. Uh Also frustrating, the city and the state have used different infection rates um, as measurements, and so that that adds to the confusion. Um, I I think that the mayor has been in an impossible situation. Um, They did set a threshold of 3%, and then they followed through on that um, when when we went past 3%. There were some parents who thought that schools should remain open. Um, I think that the tough thing here really is that the one-size-fits-all may not make sense. And what do I mean by that? Um, There are some students who are really, really ill-served by schools not being open. Um, I I would not consider my kids among this group, Uh, but these are kids that were behind anyway and are just going to fall further behind in a way that's like really, really devastating. Um, I'm going to suggest even that, that there's not uniformity among teachers as to what they would prefer. There are some teachers who do not want to teach if COVID's above a certain rate. But I have a feeling there are some teachers who just would rather be in a classroom with their kids and maybe they're young and have no health issues and are like, look, I'm willing to, to do this and take the chance. Um, and uh, and there are kids that are really, really suffering right now on multiple fronts. Um, so uh, I think it's responsible to say, look, if the infection rate's beyond a certain rate, like let, let's close a bunch of schools. But I, I do think that we're not a monolith. Like there are like different families and different uh, teachers in different situations um, and there may be some uh, some things we can do that help some
1: families. Chris, you're doing very well today.
0: <laughs> I've got a lot of questions for Andrew. <laughs> I, uh, I would like to ask uh, another important question that, um, you know, that has come up with de Blasio specifically as mayor, um, the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that went down with that this year uh, during the protests and the, relationship between police and 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 people of color like how how can we fix this city how can we fix things the relationships between that type of things like how can we how can we turn this around i mean it seems like there's a lot of just unrest and um a lot of problems that we're constantly running into with racial profiling and things of that nature how can you what's your plan to, to to fix that and turn that around
2: uh it's a brutal time um Uh, To me, a lot of this stems from the culture and the leadership of the NYPD. Um, It's one reason why I'm advocating for a civilian police commissioner, uh, because the police commissioner has a lot of power. Um, And if you appoint a police commissioner who is essentially attached to the culture of the department, um, then that culture will remain very, very much the same. Um, If you want to meaningfully change the culture, you want to bring in someone who um, is independent of that culture. And I I think that would be a game changer because the frustration a lot of folks feel is that when something goes wrong with the police, that there is not as much accountability as people want. And that there's a bureaucracy that is very, very protective um, and entrenched, but the police commissioner does have the ability to um, circumvent or override that bureaucracy to a significant degree. It's just right now, we haven't had a police commissioner who was that independent minded. Um, So that's the leadership piece that I think we've been missing. Um, certainly as mayor, I'd, I'd, um, also be, uh, very, very, um, engaged with efforts to try to reform, um, some of the, the practices where, um, the tough part is like, you know, crime is rising in New York city and we need to, uh, try to keep people safe, try and catch the people that are, um, uh, behind some of the, those, uh, crime statistics. Um, But at the same time, there are other interventions where you don't necessarily need to accelerate the, or um, elevate the aggression and violence. Like you need to try and like diminish it. Uh, And so the, the hope is that we have different types of people that can arrive on the scene. If someone's having a mental health episode or having a substance abuse episode uh, that are trained for that, that are not necessarily um, NYPD.
1: What is your understanding of the phrase defund the police? Uh, I mean, I think we all understand what it means. Like the
2: problem is that when you hear it, uh, it sounds like it's very absolute. Like you're trying to go like to say, like, we're going to take the the police to. It
1: sounds Um, punitive. It sounds almost punitive. uh, Like why why would you take money from the cops? Yeah, Uh,
2: I I, I think like the the principles that most people agree with are – um, that we're underinvesting in a lot of communities, uh, which we are, um, and that in New York City, a lot of resources are going to the NYPD um, and not just directly to the NYPD, but also to the civil lawsuits uh, that are settling claims every year against various officers to the tune of tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Um, and and that's incredibly painful. Like imagine being a city that's strapped for resources, which we are going to be for years, and seeing that you're spending tens of hundred, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars a year settling lawsuits. Uh, uh, you know that that money could have gone to anything under the sun. It would have been superior. Um, so so those are real issues for uh, for people. You know, so when when they see this, they think like, hey, we've been underinvesting, and some of the stuff we've been overinvesting in is not necessarily making us safer. Um, hey guys, I'm, I'm kind of uh, short on time. Um, do you have anything uh, else you want to discuss before I go? I have to say this was a little bit um, more serious than I'd anticipated, but that's cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're in a serious time. Well, I do. I mean, we
0: are a comedy podcast. So, I mean, um, we do have to ask you some, you know, obviously serious questions as well as some fun things. Um, uh, we can end this with uh, a couple of fun things real quick uh, that I had for you is that uh, you came kind of under fire um, with your Twitter video in a bodega recently. And I think you you played it off very well. I thought you, you handle it. You have a great sense of humor and Twitter, you know, had its field day with it. Um, so I'd like to ask you um, some rapid fire questions about New York to see your knowledge of New York. Uh, if you don't know the answer, it's okay. I'm here to educate you. I'm here to inform you so that you, you know, these
2: answers. Um- so I, I, you know, I, I'm, um, uh, like I'm going to give a little bit of background. I literally talked to a, a person who represents like the bodega association. Okay. And so I was like, oh, let me do something to like, uh, promote bodegas, but you're right. We did have some fun with it. It was good fun.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, you know, for anybody
2: listening and the, the people who, uh,
0: saw those videos, do you know what a bodega is?
2: So here's the thing. If you look up what a bodega is, a bodega is one of the 14,000 convenience stores uh, around New York City that looks like, you know, they have tons of different. I mean, a lot of them are called delis. If you look at the signage, a lot of them are like, you know, uh, like, I mean, certainly I know like the the janky bodegas with like the bodega cat and everything like, uh, you know, in certain places look different than like my neighborhood deli, but I believe like they're all under the same, like industry association, which unfortunately is the way my mind works. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know what
0: a bodega cat is, right? So you know that what's the primary use of a bodega cat?
2: Um, You know, I I thought it was just killing mice. I mean, maybe I don't know anything. About that is, that. that's correct. You got that Sweet. right.
0: Correct. Nice. Uh, what are, uh, what are Tim's?
2: Um, Tim's like, I, i'm not familiar with Timberland.
0: Timberlands, their boots uh oh, <laughs> that, that most new yorkers wear uh a lot of new yorkers i should say um what is
2: it most new yorkers do not wear no i know i
0: i changed it I, I fixed i corrected myself uh what is a lucy
2: uh it's a a loose joint or cigarette, correct? Or marijuana? Right. Yeah, or I, cigarette. I, actually, oh, yeah. for some reason, I just thought it was a joint. I don't know.
0: <laughs> cigarettes is usually what they are when you go to the bodegas to, uh, to order. You're like They don't sell them single, single cigarettes. I think it's uh, illegal to
2: sell them singly, isn't it? It is. Know. It is illegal. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. I knew. Cool. He's got it. He's, he's killing it right now. Uh, what does the acronym LES stand for?
2: Lower East Side, <laughs> yeah. where I was just the other day.
0: Fantastic. Where does the L train go?
2: Oh, uh, where doesn't it go? It, <laughs> Come on, Chris. Like, nobody knows
1: where the L train goes.
0: Yeah, well, if you ask anybody who lives in Brooklyn, uh, that's the no, I mean, nobody mean, I, knows I
2: love goes. the L train because, like, uh, you know, so for me, you go down to um, 14th Street and 8th Avenue, and then the L will take you, you know, across town or wherever the heck. Um, and so, and even, you yeah, know, like, you know, it, it heads – I'm thinking, I mean, obviously it goes – um, through alphabet city and the rest of it um, which uh, yeah like, it goes, uh, it goes to lower
0: from lower manhattan into brooklyn into deeper in brooklyn um what is the correct way to hold a slice of pizza
2: so like i i actually have debates on this it's like there's the entire fold it in half and like eat it a little bit like you're smushing it and whatnot like is that correct i don't know i mean that's i've done the new that. york way my friend the new york way is to fold a slice of pizza that is
0: that so is like I, i'm correct. still
2: dubious that that's like like correct i mean yeah. it's like a thing but i don't know anyway
0: what is the best borough of new york city
2: i'm not allowed to answer that because i'm running for mayor you know i mean <laughs> i would piss someone off um, well the only cool.
0: the only incorrect answer was staten island staten island is the incorrect answer anyway uh <laughs> what is the famous rap group from new york that is specifically for the children
2: <laughs> Specifically, for, so when you said famous rap group from New York, like first thing I came to mind for me was Beastie Boys, which is probably not like not what you're where you're going. No, um, it
0: is. Uh, it, the correct answer is Wu Tang. Wu Tang is for the children. And uh, the last question I have for you: What is the steam that comes out of the manholes in the city of New York? What is that steam from?
2: Wow, I, I think it's like water vapor that's getting um, like uh, burned off. Um, I've walked through it. I've smelled it.
0: <laughs> that is that is incorrect. It is actually rat breath. That is what it is. Rat breath. That's what I hold on to. Uh-huh. That's uh, this is just me- meant to be silly. These are some fun rapid fire questions. I figured we'd ask just to make fun of the fact that people went so crazy over that Twitter video, which was you actually in a bodega. It just may have not been more of the traditional bodega that people were.
2: Well, thank you, Chris. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. And, you know, it's funny. My team had a good laugh about it because, um, you know, it, it ended up getting, like, almost 4 million views and commanding, like, a news cycle or two. Um great. <laughs> and, and, and so, like, I, I walk out, too, and, like, people, um, you know, like, uh, give me a hard time about it, which is funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then, Daryl, did you want to ask our uh, our last question?
1: How much time do we have?
0: Uh, I think five minutes or so, right?
1: I just want to ask if you – dodge questions ever and are conscious of it because i study politicians for years and years and years one of the things most fascinating to me is when politicians become uncomfortable with a question that could be arguably unfair you know when they're getting sort of badgered in press conference are you ever sitting there going you know i just don't think i'm gonna i don't think i'm gonna answer this guy
2: that's a great question daryl uh like i'll share with you my experience running for president which is which was quite different than running for mayor um, truly so so running for president um there was a, such an uphill battle because you know i was like a new person out of nowhere um and so there was a real contentious tone to a lot of my exchanges with journalists and so they, they would ask questions that would be you know like a, a little bit um snyder dismissive frankly Um, and then I would continuously pivot to the substance of my campaign, which is like, look, we eliminated 4 million manufacturing jobs. We're going to do the same thing to, uh, retail and, and these other jobs, uh, you know, like the way of life's disintegrating for a lot of folks. Um, and and so like that ended up working for me where I'd like pivot to like actually what I was trying to deliver. Um, and, and so you would, um, and so you kind of developed like a knack for that, um, Mm. And, 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 and then like, there's like a a practice too, um, um, around like, uh, various media treatments and interviews, um, where, uh, like my instinct has always been just answer the fucking question. Like someone asks me a question, I'll be like, I'll answer. Um, I did that actually for a period of time. And, um, and then you realize in certain environments, like it, it actually is really not, like uh like it 's not very wholesome what they're trying to do, and you're yeah. actually answering the question uh will actually like will be um, more harm than good um so like the kind of human impulse you have to be courteous and like actually substantive and like answer a question and like you know like kind of assumes a degree of um, uh fairness or like um um you know good intention on on like both sides um and and that was like something like in in this process where i had to learn i had to develop um it it was not something i enjoy um i much much prefer having a conversation with someone uh that's like more human and like you know they don't have some kind of weird like gotcha mentality And I can see very clearly why politicians become robots, um, because if you get mic stuck in your face and then you say something wrong, then you just get attacked for it for days and days. Um, And then your team around you, um, uh, you know, a lot of whom are like, you know, like, uh, like want to keep on working. (laughs) will will come to you and be like, hey, never do that again. Say the thing. Here's the thing. Just say that, um, and, and so then we've all become jaded and uh, defeated and minimized because yeah. all of our politicians just seem like talking point robots, and uh, and you know and and they'll just say the same bullshit, even as like you know like we're we're on fire in various ways. Uh, it's destroying us, and then you have like a lot of people just get very very jaded and cynical because they're like, it does not matter which of these fuckers we elect like shit will be more or less the same. Like, you know, I mean like that, that's, that's part of the dynamic, Daryl. Um, and I wish it were better. Like, I, you know, I, I try to make it better in my ways. Um, I have very, very clear goals for my, like, like I'm trying to have an impact. Like my, my impact with the presidential campaign was can I accelerate the end of poverty in our time? And I believe that I could, Um, And I'm very proud to say that I believe I have contributed to having hundreds of billions of dollars go out to struggling Americans during this time. You know, like I lobbied Congress for some of these cash relief measures and everything else. I helped mainstream universal basic income to a point where now, like, a majority of Americans are for it in perpetuity. Uh, And when I started running, that was not the case. Like, it it was, you know, a marginal idea. Um, and, And now I've got a mission where New York City is concerned. I think I can speed up our come back from the depths of this crisis. And so then when a reporter comes and asks me a question or whatever, I just like keep my goal in mind is like, you know, I'm trying to get the city back on its feet. Um, Is this reporter like, you know, like trying to help me or trying to stick it to me? Um, and, And then you make a calculation and then you, you know, try and answer in a particular way. And try and stay human the whole time. Like, you, you try to just still be yourself and, like, you know, not be a jackass. Um, but uh, I, I'm happy to say that even now, like, my interactions with New York media are changing and improving um, because they're around me and they're realizing that, you know, like, I'm, I'm a, um, like a reasonable person um, and I'm willing to try to talk to them um, if, you know, like, if they're, like above board um you know like because i actually appreciate that journalists are trying to do a job um i want to help them do their job um as long as they're fair like i want to be accessible um you know i i think that helps so that's a very very long-winded answer to your question (laughs) daryl but it's been on my mind a lot um because i've gone through a lot of it over the past couple of years
0: yeah well i mean i know i appreciate people that are direct and more you know not aren't afraid to to actually answer the question and answer it in a you know Can I ask a follow-up? A human human answer, you know? (laughs) Can
1: I ask a follow-up? Good thing, Daryl. The presidential spotlight, and and I guess even the spotlight of being a a politician in a major city, is so unkind and so unfair because those of us who are not in that spotlight can call someone up on the phone an hour after we spoke to them and go, you know what, that's not what I mean. I'm sorry about that. No, I had that wrong. It's harder for you to do that. And so I admire you guys when you're up there doing that. Well the- you wouldn't
2: know, Daryl, because you're in the business and you've been on live TV like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. <laughs> and um and so you, you get it. Um there there is like a um like a glare that accompanies it. Um, and the, the glare hit my campaign in different ways at different times. For a while, the glare was like, ha ha, look at this. And then it, and then it became different over time. Um, you know, now the glare is different because I'm frankly, um, like a real contender in this mayoral race, uh, you know, and, and so people are very, very, um, intent, um, in a way that wasn't true, uh, the last time, which, you know, I'm, I'm happy about just because, uh, you know, it means I'm in position to, to get something done.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And then we had one last question for you before we go. Um, did you ever have somebody in your life that, uh, inspired you? Do you have someone that's, uh, maybe it's just in life in general or with politics, but who, who is the first person that's really been that big inspiration for you?
2: I've had so many inspirations in different ways. I mean, for a while it was my parents because they were immigrants and they worked so hard and seeing that every day. Uh, and then, in entrepreneurship, I met this CEO of a small business and I thought, Ooh, I want to be that. Like, you know, it's like that, that was when I thought I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, I learned a lot from my, um, my business partner, uh, taught me a lot about, um, not just business, but about life. I mean, he was, uh, uh, A fairly religious guy And like I was brought up um, quite secular And so I learned a lot from him In different ways Politically um, It's been funny Because like I've actually hung out With most of the major presidential candidates now Um, uh, I was inspired by Bernie's run in 2016 Like I I thought he was A real powerful truth teller um, and, And seeing that race did inspire me And then, you know, then seeing Trump win I was like, okay, I guess I have to do something um, but, uh, I, I, was a burner in 2016. Um, I remember watching one of his speeches and thinking like, I agree with everything he just said, <laughs> like that was all correct. Like, um, you know, let me, let me make a donation because like, you know, like I, have not, um, felt this way. Um, so the, I guess, the, so that, that's a little bit of my, uh, arc in terms of people inspiring me.
0: That's great, man. I mean, uh, <coughs> Daryl, do you want to ask anything else before we uh, wrap up with Andrew? Do you
2: do any impressions? do <laughs> so i do any impressions i i did have a couple of impressions of some of the political figures uh for a while so i had like the bernie you know you know this economy is working for the millionaires and the billionaires who've been making out becoming richer and anyway and then what else do i have not very good obviously no the reason why awesome. i'm not snl it's <laughs> that not awesome. very good um <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um who else did i do on the trail i tried to entertain my team sometimes but i won't inflict any more of this on you plus i probably just like lost uh you know um like lost someone's support <laughs> no no not at all if anything you probably
0: gained more support because you gave it a shot you know like yeah. i'm terrible at impressions I i ride the coattails of this snl legend he's a, he's fantastic at all of these
1: i liked it very much that's all i want to say i thought it was a really good step for someone doesn't spend eight hours a day pouring over reel after reel after videotape after videotape for 40 years. So wow, just, that's what, you,
2: you that's what it, takes.
1: it. Oh, that, yeah. makes, that makes sense. Nasty work. It's well, like nasty
2: work. With, you're one of the best in the world at it. Congratulations to both of you. I I, I do love comedians entrepreneurs humans uh folks like you who elevate and entertain folks and uh, hopefully we'll help get the city back on its feet come on back soon chris <laughs> la boom <New>
0: <laughs> i will be back in the next few weeks and uh i hope that uh you know i hope to see you if you get Mayor you know hired as mayor i would love to see what you're going to do with uh to help the arts and entertainment and the restaurants and everything the whole city in general come back
2: I am all about it. Anyone who wants to find out more about me and the campaign, you can go to andrewyang.com. Uh, okay. Pretty easy to remember. Uh, yeah, let's get the city back on its feet. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thank you, you so much for being a guest, Andrew. Appreciate you <laughs> joining us
1: today. Thank you Thank very you, much. Thank you, Andrew, so much.
0: Thanks, guys. See you soon. Take care. See you. Well, guys, that was uh, that was mayoral and former presidential candidate, Andrew Yang. What do you think, Daryl? What a great, uh, what a great uh, interview. I know how I,
1: I feel about it. I thought you were terrific.
0: Oh, thanks. I, you know, I, I also was, I was getting a little worried that I was asking too many serious questions, but they are, if you're running for mayor, they're questions, especially as a New Yorker that you want to know the answers to. Um, I think that he had a good sense of humor. I'm not sure he was too keen on our rapid fire questions that I had that uh, were good fun about the city of New York, but uh, he seemed to have a really great, you know, demeanor and optimistic. And uh, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that in a candidate, somebody who wants to change, not only, you know, the culture around New York, but the city itself and bring it back. And, you know, as somebody who I mean, seems to be, you know, intu- he came
1: off as charming and personable and smart. It's got to be a, a score for him.
0: Yeah. And I hope that's, uh, if we get some of his, you know, uh, his fans and his supporters that are listening to this podcast, uh, I hope that, uh, you'll appreciate some of those answers and uh, appreciate some of our uh, our silliness on our podcast, but uh, I thought it was great, and I, I like doing something a little bit different. I mean, we we're been you know in the beginning we're primarily doing a lot of comedy, you know, a lot of stand-up comedians, a lot of SNL people. Um, lately, we've been branching off a little bit. So you know, we had uh, Rex Chapman on, who was a former NBA player, and now we have a presidential, former presidential, and now mayoral candidate uh, with this episode. So I don't know. I think this podcast is getting uh, better and better, and uh, I hope more people will tell. They're friends about this, and don't forget to give us five stars as a rating if you wouldn't mind. It helps us beat the algorithms, and it gets our podcast seen by more people. Make sure you add us both on social media uh, at Daryl C. Hammond. I am at Chris Millhouse. Andrew Yang is uh, at Andrew Yang, I believe. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, uh, we'll be back with another really cool uh, episode uh, next week. Right, Daryl? Are we ready? We're excited for the next one. Yeah.
1: You're the straw that stirs the drink, buddy.
0: <laughs> that's that's your uh, nickname from uh, Horatio, right?
1: Isn't that that was for Horatio, but I think I I um got it from Billy Martin. I think he was Gotcha. Oh. Yeah, well anyway, it wasn't right.
0: <laughs> well, we'll uh we'll probably be back with to our uh you know, more of the uh the entertainment side of uh our, of our guests next week, but uh
1: thank you guys all for listening and uh we will see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys.